Father, as Michael speaks, may our hearts and our minds be illuminated. May the word that he brings bring life and hope. Thank you, Father, that you will anoint him at this very moment, that as he speaks, we will hear your voice. Amen. Thank you, Father, that as your word goes forth, we shall be changed. We shall be transformed. And we pray this for your honour and for your glory. Amen. 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 Thank you, Randall. Go for it. Right. Bits of paper. Um, you know, I am an armchair man. I like to be comfortable. Uh, this is okay, this sort of, I can lean on it. Um, so I'm just going to chat a little bit to feel comfortable in this particular sort of armchair. Um, I'm here today by default. <laughs> you know, Paul said to me, I put you down to speak on this date. And I didn't say a big yes, and I didn't say a big no. I thought, well, should I or shouldn't I? And I kept on saying, should I or shouldn't I? And that means that the default position is now. <laughs> so, hey. Um, you know, um, I don't know if I'm known to everybody. Uh, my name is Michael, as Randolph said, you know, which was, I'm glad he got it right. You know. um, my background is Catholic, Pentecostal, Anglican. Been around the Anglican Church for quite a number of years for various reasons and just eased out of it recently. Um, I haven't really spoken in public for quite a long time, so I'm rusty, okay? And the other thing is, I'm not a good extempore speaker. I'm okay now because I'm not really saying anything, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but, you know, if I just let myself go, we'll be talking about the weather or the dog or something else, you know? So my presentation is gonna be read from text. And that might be a bit strange to your ears. It might be a different sort of presentation than you're used to. But in the Anglican Church, it's quite common. You know, so there we go. Um, I'm going to... Scriptures are all from the New Living Bible Translation, which is not the Old King James or even the New King James. So it might not seem as if uh, it's a familiar translation to many of you. Um, but it is the Word of God. It does express things well. And uh, that's about it. Now I'll launch off. Um, I must stop saying, um, as well. Um, I'm going to go to Numbers. Uh, 22, 1 to 6. I'm going to read that first, obviously. And then I'm just going to press on. I'm not going to be using the Bible because I've got it all written down here for me in case I can't find my place. So this is Numbers 22, 
1 to 6. The people of Israel traveled to the plains of Moab and camped east of the Jordan River across from Jericho. Balak, son of Zippor, the Moabite king, had seen everything the Israelites did to the Amorites. And when the people of Moab saw how many Israelites there were, they were terrified. The king of Moab said to the elders of Midian, This mob will devour everything in sight, like an ox devours grass in the field. So Balak, king of Moab, sent messengers to call Balaam, son of Boer, who was living in his native land of Pethor, near the Euphrates River. His message said, Look, a vast horde of people has arrived from Egypt. They cover the face of the earth and are threatening me. Please come and curse these people for me, because they are too powerful for me. Then, perhaps, I will be able to conquer them and drive them from the land. I know the blessings fall on any people you bless, and curses fall on people you curse. Israel, Balak and Balaam. The three main human participants in this historical account are each in their own ways engaged with the plan and purpose of the only sovereign and utterly holy God and Father of all creation who has stooped to the earth and with infinite and enduring patience has shouldered the burden of man's need of redemption and salvation with a plan formed before the beginning of time and which will flower and come to fruition in the death of his only begotten and beloved Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Ephesians 1, 4-5 Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his family by bringing us to himself through Christ Jesus. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. At this time, 
Israel is the focus of his plan and attention, camped as it is on the plains of Moab. And the ways of God and the plans of God are, as ever, in some contrast and some conflict with the ways of man and the plans of man. Israel, a nation crafted, formed, really created by the will and the word of God, not a natural planting, but a supernatural planting of God. A nation with a distinct peculiarity of blessing and choice, birthed into being by the express will and word of God through the loins of one man, Abraham, and the womb of one woman, Sarah. A nation unique and special among all the nations of the world emanating from the singular choice of God himself. Genesis 12, 1-3 The Lord said to Abraham, Leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, I will bless you and make you famous. And you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. And just to glimpse some of the outworking of God's promise to Abraham, Deuteronomy 26.5. You must then say, in the presence of the Lord your God, my ancestor Jacob, that's um, the grandson of Abraham, was a wandering Aramean who went to live as a foreigner in Egypt. His family arrived few in number, but in Egypt they became a large and a mighty nation. A large and a mighty nation. I will make you into a great nation. God's promise to Abraham, bearing fruit, becoming visible and palpable. In begetting Israel, God lit a lamp of blessing, of revelation of his person and presence to and in the world, of his power, of his holy character, of his mercy and of his goodness and concern 
for the well-being and salvation of all people right up to the end of time. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. Light in the deep darkness and physical and spiritual death overshadowing all humanity. Promise and hope for all the ages and all nations. All the nations dwelt in darkness. They would not. All the nations worshipped idols. They would not. All the nations lived by their own power. They would not. All the nations lived by armies, strength and guile. They would not. All the nations lived by their own law and whim. They would not. All the nations lived in these ways, but not Israel, not them. For they would live not by the bread of human endeavour and its expedient inconsistencies, but they would live by every word that came from the mouth of God. They would live by faith in God, by faith in his word, and be his faithful people in the midst of an unfaithful world. A light in the darkness, displaying his glory, the only thing required of man, believe, accept, follow. Nothing more. Genesis 15, 6. And Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. And James 2, 21. Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. Believing and acting is faith complete. Israel were called to follow. Genesis 50, 24. Soon I will die, Joseph told his brothers, but God will surely come to help you and lead you out of this land of Egypt. He will bring you back to the land he solemnly promised to give to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. Faith in God and his word. And Joseph even asked that his bones be taken up to the promised land when he left, when the Israelites left Egypt. Hebrews 11.24 It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, faith and action. 
Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance of things we cannot see. They lived by faith. They were saved by faith. 430 years after Abraham, Isaac and Joseph, Israel was encapsulated, guarded and instructed and kept by the law of Moses, given at Sinai, written on tablets of stone by the fingers of God. Why then was the law given? It was added for the sake of transgression until the seed to whom the promise was made would come. That's Galatians 3.19. The promised seed is of course Christ. Galatians 3.16. God gave the promises to his child, that's Abraham, and notice that the scripture doesn't say to his children as if it meant many descendants, rather it says to his child. And that, of course, means Christ. By faith, we are saved. Abraham looked forward by faith. We look back by faith in the work of Jesus and forward to his return. The law saved no one, but was a guardian for Israel until Christ and helped separate them from the pagan world around them. Now camped on the borders of Moab, Israel causes Moab and its king much fear. He fears their power and numerical superiority. Yet despite his fear and inability to face them in battle, he is determined to oppose them and seeks another way. He is well aware of Egypt and the Exodus, of the defeat of Sion, king of the Amorites, and he could not but be aware of the defeat of Og, king of Bashan, and he turns to occultic power. He would have his own magicians, plenty of them, but this would actually require someone special. A man of proven power with a verified track record. He sends for Balaam, son of Beor, saying, For I know, he had knowledge, I know that those you bless are blessed, and I know those you curse are cursed. I know, I am aware, I have evidence. And the magicians of Pharaoh had real power too when they opposed Moses. Balaam lived around 400 miles away on near the Euphrates River. It was a round trip of almost two months for Balak's messengers. In the book of Joshua 13.22, he is recorded as a magician. The Israelites had also killed Balaam 
son of Beor, who used magic to tell the future. There are other records of him. In Jewish writings, there is a, an inscription um, taken from a temple of that time with his name on it, attributing to things that he, attributing to him intercession with the gods, etc. His father's name, Beor, meant burning. His own name came from the verb bala, meaning swallowing up, and the noun am, kinsman of people. In its entirety, translated, it meant destroyer of the people. An apt name for a man who curses people. He was possibly a member of a hereditary group of Mesopotamian priest diviners called the Baruch. Anyway, eventually, around four months later, after the initial invitation, is on his second invitation, he arrives in Moab and is met by Barak on the border of Moab. But he is actually powerless. Not because he's forgotten his occultic law or his spell book or his wand if he had one, but because the God of Israel has sovereignly intervened. Israel cannot be cursed. God will simply not allow it. Indeed, Balaam for a time is forced to join the ranks of the real prophets and bless Israel and declare things to come. He confesses, I can't curse those whom God has not cursed. Balaam was powerless under the mighty hand of God. Zion, who had attacked Israel, was actually powerless under that same mighty hand of God. Og, the king of Bashan, equally powerless under the mighty hand of God. Balak, who tried by occultic subterfuge, whatever you want to call it, came to nothing. His plans came to nothing. He was powerless under that same mighty hand of God. All of these, in the natural, were real and powerful, and they were dangerous. They attacked Israel, but Israel was secure under the protecting, all-powerful hand of the creator of the universe. It would be extremely unlikely that any of these things could have been faced by Israel in their own strength. In fact, I think 
they would have been slaughtered. Israel had actually not aggressed against any of them, but had been attacked for merely seeking safe passage through their lands on their way to the Promised Land. Numbers 21, 22. Let us travel through your land. We will be careful not to go through your fields or vineyards. We won't even drink water from your wells. We will stay on the King's Road until we have passed through your territory. But men ruling kingdoms of darkness in the ways of Satan, stubborn and proud, knew not God, nor cared to. Zion was a very powerful ruler in that area. He walked in his own power, in his own strength, and he had plenty of might. Israel had to face him, entrusting themselves to God. Their faith in God was their shield, their stronghold, he, their high tower. By faith, they defeated Zion. Og, who would obviously have known as Zion's demise, was still a determined aggressor. Perhaps even stronger than Zion, for despite Zion's defeat, he was unafraid to pit his strength against the people of God. They lifted the shield of faith and prevailed. The people of God could not be overcome. At this point, they were keeping faith with God. But they had to fight. Though it wasn't easy, they had to face fear, risk and hardship. They had to engage the enemy shield to shield, face to face. Blood, sweat and the roar and clash of battle against a determined and powerful enemy. They had to stand firm, lifting that shield of faith in their hearts with a sword in their hands. And they prevailed in the strength that God gave to them. They probably knew of Balaam and Balak. Perhaps there was rumour. Perhaps there was worry. How could they counter this? They didn't have to. God took care of it. It wasn't in their sphere. No weapon formed against them could prosper. If God is for us, who can be against us? There's nothing more uplifting than victory. Joy and praise. God has been faithful to his word. His word is true. Thanks to him we have come through impossible situations. And that man, Balaam, 
has saddled his donkey and gone home well. 2 Peter 5.8 Stay alert, watch out, for your great enemy the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. The roaring lion of Peter has roared over Israel. They have not been paralyzed by fear, by his real and powerful threats, but have stood firm, lifting the shield of faith and trust in the word of the living God. <coughs> and the roaring lion has limped off, maybe beside Pharaoh's donkey. And they, Israel, are at rest. They camp at a acacia grove, still near to Balak, but he can't attack them. He's not that strong, and obviously they don't fear him camped as they are on his doorstep, and as the sorcery well secure. God has taken care of that. But the guard is down. They can't see the roaring lion anywhere, and if and when it roars, it will make itself known. It's obvious and can be resisted. If you're in the bush, uh, I'm not really, it's just an example. If you're in the bush and a lion roars, no matter how fearful it may be, you do not run. It will pounce and devour. If you have a weapon, you make yourself ready. It's like that with Satan. When you hear his roar of persecution or attrition, you pick up your weapon, the shield of faith, and you stand firm. In many lands today, the lion roars, and our brothers and sisters face attrition, imprisonment, loss of livelihood, torture, and execution, judicially or by mob. And yet they face it with a determined joy in the midst of suffering, holding up the shield of faith, remaining faithful even unto death. In all of this, the body grows and prospers. God's hand is evidenced and the good news advances. We hear and we look, we pray and sorrow at their sufferings. They are in the battle, the lines are clearly drawn, and they lay down their lives in various and manifold ways for Jesus. What they must do is plain to them, and we, should the evil day come our way, and it may, it may, we steal ourselves to do likewise. We prepare our hearts and so 
we should. When and if the lion roars, we, we must be ready and keep the faith. Revelation 2.10 The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You will suffer for ten days, but if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. At the moment, Israel still dallies at Acacia Grove. And there comes a different sort of danger. Insidious, pervasive, persistent, quiet and attractive. The Moabites and the Midianites have become good neighbours by familiarity of locality. They are sharing the same living space, dwelling together. And Balaam has returned with a plan to influence and seduce Israel, to tempt them to sin and bring God's covenantal anger upon them. The Lord of blessing and cursing will be used against them. Occultic power cannot touch them, but God's anger can, and Israel is being influenced. Balak's gold is soon to line Balaam's pocket, and Balak's design to injure Israel is about to be realized. The lion has returned, just the same in character, but in a different form. Not roaring and raging, but with an ever so sweet and muted serpentile hissing. And ever so vile and malicious. The ancient serpent glides unseen through the grass of Acacia Grove. Below the watchman's eye level, his eyes are looking for lions. Curls itself around the leg and strikes deep, injecting its venom. And 29,000 of Israel die. Not by a curse, but by the just judgment of the God of Israel. That law. Great blessings, great cursings. It was all spelt out for them. They could see it clearly. <coughs> so, not everyone succumbed. There were those who were prepared to keep the word of God, lift that shield of faith and say no, and stand firm. Seduction is a battle, needing just as much faith and obedience as facing persecution. When the lion roars, it's plain, and you actually know what must be done. Seduction is a different matter. The threat does not seem to be so serious 
or immediate. It's day by day. Becomes a familiar part of life. Dwelling at Acacia Grove. Rubbing shoulders with the enemy. Slowly assimilating some of the life and culture of the fallen world around. King David, never overcome in battle, was seduced. Eve was not overcome in battle or in confrontation. She was seduced. Persuasion, reason, science says, medicine says, it's been discovered. Lots of things, weighty, erudite, put forward with conviction, arguments, ever so reasonable. And we are open to and troubled by the influential seduction of the world at large. Many in the church have fallen prey in our lands, where persecution is not yet endemic, and the lion's law roar or roar is muted in the distance as yet. But the fangs of the serpent are sharp and ever poised to bite. Israel was equipped to face lion and serpent by God, faith with obedience. And so we are too. Yet our position is greater by far, not under law, but under grace. With the coming of the Messiah, the law has faded away. Romans 6.14 <coughs> Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Galatians 3.13 But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he hung upon the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. Israel was birthed by God, God's people. We are God's new covenant people. We have been birthed by God through the blood of Jesus, and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Through faith in the promises of God. We are not as the world. We worship the only true God. We live by His word. We seek His wisdom and are led and empowered by the Spirit. We grow in His image, observing His laws from our hearts. Yet, just as for Israel, there is still a lion to contend with. There is still a serpent to resist and be aware of. 
and our camp is still in Acacia Grove until we die or he comes again. Come, Lord Jesus. Just going to read a final little scripture. But to all who believed him, John 3, 12, and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They, that's us, are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. We are the children of God. We are the people of God. We are a blessed, set-apart, holy people. Let us bear in mind that we live in a world full of influences. And let us keep the faith and walk in holiness before the Lord our God in the strength and power of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Amen.